You're very welcome along to this week's edition of The Snap. In the Ballad of Reading Jail, Oscar Wilde talks about how there's uh, there's no church service on the day that they, they hang a man and then bury him in uh, quicklime. But no, The Snap comes at you the week after the 49ers have been beaten because that's the type of professionals we are. Not right, you don't care. Commiserations, Chair. You know, you're kind of probably happy. Oh, it was, it was a good game. All I wanted was some tension in the, in the final quarter and we got that. Yeah, but you can't be happy because you're a Ravens fan and you've got to play this guy every year to try and get back to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Ever. To make it to the Super Bowl. It's a tough one. We're going to touch on it, but this team has dynasty potential, if anyone. That dynasty word gets thrown around a lot, but you just look at the pieces they've got and this guy has won an MVP already. The one piece that they have is all they need, really. Yeah. And That's the thing. And the coach. The, the one piece with the coach aligned. They can do whatever they need to. It's like a Formula One team who finally got the right driver and vice versa. Mahomes probably would flourish in any team. And we've seen Andy Reid has done some good stuff with lesser quarterbacks, but now it's a perfect fusion. And <laughs> the sky's the limit for them, really. Yeah, yeah. Keen Fai, how are you? What part of the world are you in? Oh, I'm in Clark, finally. Ah, right. Uh, the Super Bowl felt like it was a month ago, though, so it's been a long week. So you were in Miami for the build-up, and then you watched the Super Bowl in New York, is that right? Yeah, and I just got home Wednesday, and that felt like it was another few days ago because I was sleeping all day <laughs> trying to catch up. But uh, no, the the actual game itself, I watched in New York, and it was great. It was um, covered it for wrote about it for off the ball, and it felt like in the third quarter I could write and finish and say, "Oh, the game was over," and then Mahomes came along and changed all my plans. I blamed Joe Buck. He was like, "Ah, oh, the Chiefs have them right where they want them now," and uh, and Troy Aikman's like. I mean, I don't think it's right where they want them. <laughs> like, shut up, Troy. He was a joke. And Joe, shut up, Joe. Tempting fate. There was a lot of tempting fate going on because um, uh, in that third quarter, the Niners looked like their game plan was working. And we can pick, we can pick that game plan apart, as many people have been doing in many different ways ever since. But let's talk about the Chiefs because it, it seems like a little bit like the Chiefs aren't actually getting the credit for staying in a game where they were being dominated to the point where they gave the quarterback the opportunity to go and win it. Can I first just suggest that your uh, agitation there at Joe Buck was uh, a reflection of how that game went for you, how stressful you, it was? I think you all remember that I tipped the, the Kansas City Chiefs to win this. I expected the Chiefs to win, but I sure. did allow myself to start getting excited around the third quarter. And when the second interception happened, you're like, ooh, hang on a second now. This might just be about to happen. And there were bad throws as well, weren't they? There were ugly interceptions for Mahomes. And there were, ah, uh, Quan Alexander, where Quan Alexander gets both hands on the ball. And you're like, if maybe if your tit wasn't torn, you might have made that. Mm. I don't know. Well, you want to talk about the Chiefs? Uh, yes. Like that my Patrick Mahomes has to be the takeaway from it, obviously. But what I really loved about that game, and it kind of fit for both sides, was the play calling from both offensive coordinators, well, both head coaches really, because the head coaches are the offensive coordinators for these teams. Where the like Shanahan came out with trick plays, came out with misdirection from the very first drive. He tried to throw uh, a wheel route to Jimmy Garoppolo at the very start of the game. That was well covered, and Debo Samuel just scrambled for a first down. But then you look at the Chiefs' side to me. The Chiefs, like, every single play Andy Reid had in his playbook all year round, and these are already really well-designed plays, he came back with something completely different and added to it. He had a different wrinkle that the defense had never seen before. And you look at the fourth down conversions. So the first one, you he converts with... Uh, a look where he shifts just before the snap. I think they're calling it the temptation sniff or shift where everyone spins in the backfield and then you look like the ball's going to be run outside and they go right up the middle. 
And then he comes back after that with a speed option play where uh, on another fourth and one where you have a speed option where the running back is aligned on the wrong side of the field. So the beauty of that play to me was the defensive end normally has to read between the, the quarterback and the running back. But because he can't actually see the running back on this speed option, he's going to always hit Mahomes, take Mahomes out, and Mahomes is going to pop the ball behind him without seeing his running back, changing the angle for the running back and having him run to void to space. And it was kind of one of those things that Andy Reid is only going to do in the Super Bowl because Mahomes was guaranteed to be hit and be, to be taken out. And that was the kind of play Mahomes was making in the first half. So we can talk about how he didn't have his greatest game, but he was making these un, like unheralded plays, like they weren't highlight plays, but they were, were difficult plays more nearly killed him. Like that, that scramble was hugely important because it allowed him to convert the other fourth down. It, look, the, the scramble was uh, hugely important, but there, it was also slightly fortuitous. It was it's several times where in that first half where he, he wasn't he wasn't at the absolute peak Mahomes. There's a fumble, there's a strip sack, um, but the fumble bounces to Kansas City, and like that one bounced out of play from the Jimmy Ward tackle as well. You, you've got to have a little bit of fortune on your side. To be fair, though, that fumble preceded an interception, so like they were lucky on that specific play. But that drive still ended in a turnover. Yeah. The the one where Jimmy Ward smacks him and he smacks Jimmy Ward um, with his knee to the head. That one pops out of play and actually took them away from the first down. But anyway, look, I, 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 yeah. I, I do. The thing, my takeaway about the Mahomes situation is that he didn't play brilliantly. And therefore, we should all be terrified because actually what's going to happen is he's going to have the confidence now to go from being somebody who wins a Super Bowl playing not great and still ends up the MVP of the game. I actually don't think that he was really the MVP. I think Chris Jones was the MVP. Damien Williams. There's a case for Damien Williams. Sure. But I think that like Damien Williams' touchdown run at the end of the game is, is actually kind of irrelevant. I, I, I mean, the 49ers increased their chances of winning the game by him scoring. Like obviously they didn't win the game, but uh, at that stage they should just have they, he should have kneeled at the half yard line. Yeah, but we talk about the mechanics of what constitutes an MVP as opposed to the best player, and we could go on all day about that. But would any other quarterback have won that game besides Mahomes? I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. I mean, I think that that, that, well, I, I, that third and fifteen, like we can get lost in passing yards a little bit, where you know you can dump the ball off and your receiver can break away for thirty-three yards, and you get all the credit for that. Whereas, like the third and fifteen, he threw the ball sixty yards like in the air. He took about twelve steps back to to launch that ball, and the 49ers played somewhat conservatively in the back end. They obviously were really aggressive up front, but it just meant they weren't letting him get those passes off, and he he had to basically extend the play himself by dropping so deep and gave him enough time to find Hill. And that was the turning point. Like We dismissed the notion of momentum, but that was a momentum swing. And there was only one winner when that pass was completed. Well, I, I think that, um, uh, I don't know. That I think dispirited that they, the 49ers. Yeah, the but I, I still think that they, they still had the opportunity to win the game after that. So that, that um, that's 2017 after they score that, right? Mm. So it's still 2010, they're still ahead. You still have to concede they end up conceding two more, but they still have to concede another one. Like, they just needed a few catches. They needed Garoppolo to be a bit calmer and find people and find Kittle when Kittle was open. And um, I, I, I don't think that that shouldn't have been the end of the game. I, I do wonder, though, like, um, to go back to uh, Andy Reid, a lot of the running the game, running the ball in the first half and being slow and methodical, the purpose of that 
seemingly, is to make sure that the 49ers are exhausted by the end of the game. Because they know that Mahomes is going to get opportunities and they know at the end Tyreek Hill is going to run. And apparently, I don't know nothing about this, but apparently his, his route on that run is brilliant because uh, it, it fixes um, the, um, the corner at the line or close to the line, he lets him go. And it also, uh, Jimmy Ward is kind of a little bit confused about exactly what's supposed to be happening and isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. Um, he's probably the only is that player. the third and 15 player? Yeah. Like Tyler Lockett yeah, yeah. and himself are probably the only players with both the intelligence and the athleticism to, to, do, to pull that off, you know? What did you see there, well, kid? That, that's, um, you come back to that right cornerback position for the 49ers. It's been a problem over the, over the course of the season. Emmanuel Mosley was in, uh, replaced, uh, was it Quan Williams? No, Keller Witherspoon. Keller Witherspoon. And um, so he, he has a little bit of a blown assignment in that situation. Jimmy Ward is playing single single high safety. They line Terry, Cup, Terry Kill up in the slot, have another receiver on the outside. So what happens is Hill releases deep down the middle and that isolates him on the deep safety. And that one, once you're isolated on the deep safety, as Ty- against Tyreek Hill, you're going to commit early to the vertical that he's going at. So when Jimmy Ward turns his hips, he's committed to the middle vertical. So Tyreek Hill is pushed up towards his inside shoulder, forced him to turn around. And as soon as he turns, he breaks back to the outside. So he's going towards his outside so- uh, shoulder. So now the deep safety has no shot at the play. So what you need there is for Emmanuel Mosley, your outside cornerback, to understand the situation. He bit on a short route underneath and went inside, which vacated all that space. What he really needed to realize was it was third and 15. You you don't need to bite on the shorter route. You need to be aware of Tyreek Hill breaking to your space. So if he had stayed back, that play would never have happened and uh, Mahomes wouldn't have had an opportunity. But I also think that play is hugely important for the overall performance because in Mahomes' overall performance, we're talking about Mahomes not playing well. And it's a fair thing to talk about because he didn't miss a couple of uh, throws he should obviously have made. But it's also because the 49ers had the perfect game plan and the 49ers' defense played extremely well for, for most of the game. Not only did they execute well in coverage and play well with the game plan of keeping players back, forcing the offense to play underneath and to run the ball, they constantly hit the quarterback. And hitting the quarterback that often obviously wore him down and put Mahomes in a position he hasn't really been in throughout his career. All to no end, though. <laughs> like he, he still comes through it. That's the, that's the sign of his greatness, and I think that's what I was talking about when, yeah. like, he is messy level of um, of performance at the moment. This is like one of the great world sporting moments where a player who isn't playing well, who is getting hit, who is facing a, a proper opponent, who has literally staked out every single thing he's he's done and has brought him to the precipice, and then he comes through. That is an amazing achievement. Yeah, and. The comebacks in the games themselves, well documented in the playoffs, it's an unprecedented run, but like this guy was, it looked like he was out for the season in week seven, dislocated his knee, and it weren't not for his double jointedness or whatever it was, he missed two games, uh, miraculously came back, was a little bit shaky, he obviously threw really well, but wasn't as mobile in the pocket. And then this, this it all fell, all the chips fell, this Ryan Fitzpatrick show on the final day of the regular season, it shifted everything around. I know, when you think about it, we were also happy at the time. In, in retrospect, it would have been much better for the uh, Patriots to get the home by. Yeah, but like I, we spoke last week about this symphonic 49ers team. Everything's so finely tuned and they're moving really well. And it would have been a, it would have been a win for Moneyball almost or this kind of, you know, a really well-planned team coming from picking second in the draft to winning the Super Bowl. Like a really 
brilliant achievement. But it's actually it's the human interest stuff that's going to capture new fans, like Patrick Mahomes doing these freelancing, Shut up. miraculous stuff. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't. When the Giants, the first Super Bowl I watched was when Eli Manning threw that ball up and David Tyree caught it. I'm like, wow, that was that was crazy. Why did you become a Giants fan then? No, but but then you see, like, oh, in I, retrospect, I everyone's like, that, that front four for the Giants, that's what won the game and they're, the pressure up front. Oh, see. Yeah, it's like, but that's not, people watching for the first time aren't going to see that. They're going to see what Patrick Mahomes did the other night. Yeah, but I, look, I think that if the Niners had won, um, Nick Bosa would have been potentially the MVP. Um, you know, I think that their their run game, when it was cooking, their run game was sensational. The ability to just get down the field and it being mixed in with passes, it looked like this amazing, like the, uh, it looked like for all the world that Kyle Shanahan was doing what Patrick Mahomes did, asserting himself as the dominant person in his sport at that level. He had like almost got it perfect. And I don't really blame him. You know, what, of, what of the blame? being laid at his door then. So he's the, inherited the, the ineptitude of Andy Reid now. He's He's been bestowed as this guy that can't handle the clock. He did He did press yesterday. Under pressure. He did press yesterday. And look, everybody saw um, John Lynch making the timeout sign before the end of the first half. And um, I was listening to Steve Young this morning saying that um, Jimmy Garoppolo needs to go and have a conversation with Kyle Shanahan and say, why didn't you take the timeout? Why didn't you trust me with a minute and a half? to go down the field. I've gone down the field multiple times this year before the end of the half and at the end of the game and we generally get at least a field goal. So in the biggest game, when we had the opportunity to do it, why didn't you give me a minute and a half? I don't know, I don't know, Keen, what you think of that. Um, so just for anybody who doesn't really remember this, the 49ers get the ball back with a minute and 46 seconds left on the clock at the end of the first half and they let the clock run down. This is where George Kittle makes that amazing catch like, I mean, technically, maybe it is offensive uh, pass interference, but it hadn't been blown earlier in the game. And I don't know, maybe I'm a bit biased. In, in the one. Super Bowls, you always hear the old timers say, let the players play. And, and like, I, when it comes to something like that, I totally agree with it. It wasn't an egregious. If people, if that had gone and unpunished, no one would have said anything. No. So I think that's the. They weren't even complaining about it. No. There was no, like, oh, what the? Yeah. Like the way they were in the Minnesota game. So let's not talk about the OPI because I want to talk about what you thought about the absence of a timeout or whatever. Uh, first thing, I want to laugh at the, the mention of Eli Manning because being that I was in New York, uh, I got to listen to some local sports talk radio in New York. And the first segment in response to the Super Bowl on Monday was, this solidifies that Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. <laughs> Which to me was just a hilarious half an hour to spend on that Super Bowl. But... Um, Actually, like, read what Kyle Shanahan did. I think Jimmy Garoppolo in that situation is more likely to throw an interception than he is to drive you down the field and score. That's based on Jimmy Garoppolo's career as a whole, but it's more based on how he's played lately. Like, there's a very clear lack of trust with Garoppolo and Shanahan. You could tell even by his comments afterwards when he was asked how well Garoppolo played, he said, ah, you know, I kind of have to look at the tape and have to judge him. It's unfair a little bit on Garoppolo because his biggest play of the game did come in that situation after they converted that third down with a quick throw underneath and then they didn't have time to get in in, uh, in scoring range. I tend to think the offensive pass interference was egregious. Like It's very well done by Kittle, but it's very clear what he did and it's very clear the benefit of what he did to get that space to catch the ball because without that little nudge, the space doesn't exist. But like Garoppolo... 
can complain about that or we can complain about that. But he had so many opportunities in the fourth quarter. He had so many opportunities in the second half and he couldn't come true. And to me, one of the best ways of contextualizing Patrick Mahomes' performance is Patrick Mahomes took an absolute beating and was still there to be that quarterback at the end and was still there with some poise at the end. Garoppolo didn't take a beating and was still collapsing on himself. Like that interception he threw early in the game, it wasn't the second quarter, where he just tossed the ball up basically and threw it up aimlessly. That's the kind of play he's made far too often in his career. And then at the end of the game, like Kyle Shanahan schemes up Emmanuel Sanders for the game-winning touchdown. He's wide open and behind the defense and the ball sails in him. And the fourth down, he can't get the ball out at all. He gets sacked on fourth down. Like these kind of, and he should have been intercepted on that drive as well, just before those plays. So it's really, really hard to argue that Shanahan was wrong about throwing the ball before first at the end of the first half. Like this happened with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars and Blake Bortles a couple of years ago in the AFC Championship game, and it was a sign that Bortles was not good enough and on the way out. I don't think Garoppolo is Bortles, but I don't think he's dramatically better than him either. Well, look, he brought that question up. We may as well try and deal with that right now. The, the, what they're saying is that um, Shannon yesterday was like, oh, you know, you, you guys don't understand how excited I am to coach him every day, how great a professional he is. And you, you look at his stats from the year, and his stats are excellent. This is, remember, his first full season starting, um, despite the fact he's 28. So you would expect that there'll be some progression. It's whether or not he can get rid of those stupid throws that he had in the first half and, and uh, get more in the zone in the bigger games. Um, and that's the thing that we'll have to give yeah. uh, the the team and the coaching um, a sense of confidence. And the other thing is, I think like next year, although he's got a long contract, they can they have him for next year for sure. And then after that, they can pretty much cut him for no dead money. That's something ridiculously small. So the contracts have been arranged to give them the opportunity to get out of it if they need to. But it doesn't feel like they're actually they need to be on the hunt for a quarterback. No, and like I feel I have a bit of sympathy for him. Like his profile sort of dwarfs his credentials or experience. Like this guy's still learning on the job a little bit. And he had seven games basically as a starter when he became the highest paid quarterback in the league, which is nonsensical in the grand scheme of things, but that's just the way the league's going at the moment. So as I said, he's still learning. And Mike Florio came out with the hottest scorching take ever saying that if the Patriots were offered Grappolo back and Brady went to the 49ers, they, both teams top. would take that deal. So no, uh, God, no. I, 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 I can't like the idea of Tom Brady trying to execute those Kyle Shanahan hands handoffs is at 42 years of age is just hilarious. Like that's not going to work. Would Tom Brady have won that Super Bowl the other night? No. Did anyone watch Tom Brady this year? He lost to the Titans. The well, Titans his, are good. his offensive line lost to the Titans as well. Like yeah, his his good. crappy receivers lost to the Titans. He, like this Tom Brady thing is going to be I, I assume he's going to the Chargers just because that's the one that makes sense where they want to sell tickets and the Chargers don't really seem to be very smart the idea that Tom Brady is even better than Garoppolo at this stage is kind of it's it's a bit outlandish like the guy has really really struggled and it's it's understandable he's old he's an old man we need to stop talking about him as some sort of saviour for next team like Probably the Broncos might do it and ruin Drew Locke and move him, move on from Drew Locke prematurely because that's what John Elway does. But I don't see him coming into any team and making them more of a, a contender in the playoffs. Um, I, the other one thing that um, Shannon was at pains to point out that um, was it Baker Mayfield has had more starts. That doesn't make sense, does it? Than Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, that would be he would he would yeah a little bit more. But like it's also something we've done an awful lot with with. Garoppolo as if 
these starts are like or as if he's this young quarterback who's just he's rookie but like the reality is the 49ers chose to put themselves in this position like they chose to go with a quarterback who had been largely unproven when they paid him 140 million dollars so it's not like we can keep talking about him in this inexperienced sense as if he's guaranteed to get better he's played a lot or he's not played a lot he's been in the league a lot he's been a very long time I'm not sure we can really bank on him actually getting better I don't know. I, I feel relatively confident that he will get better. And I think that Shanahan's capable of coaching anybody. To go back to Chris Jones and his credentials for MVP, I thought Chris Jones wrecked that game. Like, the the Niners' um, offensive line had actually played really well, um, notwithstanding the fact that uh, Western Richburg was injured. They'd replaced him, and they replaced him well. Lakin Tomlinson's figures were pretty good on PFF over the course of the year. Mike Parsons, not great. Fair enough. Um, but Chris Jones was sensational. The tipped balls, essentially, the, the talk radio in San Francisco is like, there's two tipped balls in particular. One's going to Kittle. It's on, it's on track. Kittle gets it in open space. And we know what a game wrecker he is in, in open space. Um, but I, Chris Jones, at one point, also then stopped trying to sack uh, the quarterback and just jump in at the line. And, and like, there's a, there's a level of gamer there for a second round pick who's 25 who's going to be a, um, a free agent at the end of the year like that's a sensational he made a lot of money in that game well that's that's the um, what we were talking about a minute ago on that third and 15 where Emmanuel Mosley doesn't understand the situation and he bites on the underneath route well Chris Jones understood the situation there he know I think it was second down was that one to Kittle where they've already run on first down so he knows that if they go to play action from, from shotgun the ball's going in behind on a slant to Kittle. That's the Shanahan offense. That's the Shanahan staple. So Chris Jones has obviously recognized, right, we've got enough guys at the line of scrimmage to stop the run right now because we're selling out to stop the run because we need to get the ball back. So if I don't win initially, if I don't win in my very first movement, I'm going to stop and get my hands up and fill this passing lane. And because Garoppolo, again, is in that offense where everything's very specific and everything's very one read and, and get the ball out at a specific time and react to the initial action of the defense, he, he's going to throw the ball regardless. So it does not matter that Kittle's wide open. Jones can get in that passing lane and, and knock the ball down. I think the other thing to understand here with Chris Jones is this isn't like a, a breakout performance. This guy has been one of the dominant defensive linemen in the league ever since he probably his first year. I think his first year he probably rotated in and out. And since then, he's been one of the stars. And like he's probably a, a Jarrell Casey type, someone who deserves a huge amount of money but isn't Aaron Donald. So he's going to be a focal point for them moving forward, which is kind of the big challenge for the Chiefs, I think. You've got, you've got to pay Casey. You've already paid Hill. You're going to obviously have to pay Mahomes. By the time Mahomes' contract comes around, that's going to be, what, $45 million a year? Well, they've been saving money from Mahomes since before he started. Apparently, they were so convinced. Um, the, the GM there, Vicha, like somebody pointed out that every move he made last offseason, every single one of them contributed uh, handsomely in the end. So what they've done is, um, you know, somebody like Sammy Watkins, for example, who apparently is like 23 or 25 million against the cap next year, he gone. And then they're just going to be able to create the space for Mahomes that way. So they, they have put a financial plan in place for the mega contract that Patrick Mahomes is going to get on the basis that... You know, you plan for him being sensational, you plan for him being mediocre, and you plan for cutting him, but uh, they're going to have the, to activate the plan, the plan always includes hitting on new players, though. So the plan is never so straightforward. Well, there's an ABC. You've got you to plan for all eventualities. In the well-run franchises, which clearly KC are, so are they set up to be a dynasty? And yeah. we're, we're officially using the word dynasty well, John, Screw all the Irish people who are going, the word's dynasty. <laughs> but, I think John's got the Super Bowl odds for next year, which came out, always come out basically at the end of 
this year's Super Bowl and yeah, they're back in as favourites big time. So we, we're going with the American uh, odds, which yeah. I always find slightly difficult. Plus 600, 6 yeah, to 1. Yeah, basically 6 to 1. The Ravens 8 to 1, 49ers 8 to 1, New Orleans Saints are the next in line to spoil the party there. Will, they, will Drew Brees be back next year? He will be, apparently. Um, he wants to come, and Sean Payton says he wants to come. I think that if you just back the Chiefs and the Ravens, you're guaranteed that one of them is going to be in the final, and neither of them will be. So if you're backing them both, say you put a tenner on both, six to one and eight to one, you're actually getting five to one and seven to one about them because you've already lost your tenner um, in the championship game. And that's good odds because there's no way the Kansas City Chiefs or the Ravens are going to be five or six to one. And the New England Patriots, seemingly by default, are just slotted in there at 11 to one. And I'm not backing them. And the Chargers come in at 16. So they've got faith in LA to do something. <sighs> that's a mistake, surely. That's because right. of the expectation that Tom Brady will be there. But that is a mistake. They couldn't be 16 to one. They're a very talented team, but they have no quarterback at the moment. So I'll, I'll offer that, you anything on uh, if you want to take 16 <laughs> to one about that. But are we on the verge of something here? Because it feels like we have a very talented athlete who has come from a uh, high-end sports background, so knows how the the rhythm of a season is going to have an impact, clearly has good people surrounding him. So it's not like it's his first rodeo. It's not like it's the family's first rodeo. There'll be good lawyers. There'll be good social media people. There'll be good advisors not letting him get his head turned. He clearly hasn't had his head turned because he was the MVP last year. Like, we're entering the era of Patrick Mahomes. How good is that era going to be? What's the over-under on Super Bowls that he's going to win in his career? I don't know, but we're in for a hell of a decade with him against, I, him against Jackson. But so his first year, he will, his agent would not allow him to do any commercial stuff whatsoever. This was, that was a learning year for him. He knew he was going to sit, and like normally, like Baker Mayfield was told he was going to sit, but he was still out, you know, perusing, looking for nice little marketing dollars because these lads need it. They're on rookie deals and whatnot. But Mahomes stuck to his craft, and it's it's borne out. Obviously, MVP in his first year as a starter, and then and here we are. So if it wasn't for D Ford last year, we'd be looking at the the Chiefs going for three in a row next year. So this is the kind of, we're already in dynasty territory already in, in many ways. And as Keane said, they've still got scope for improvement. You know, it's going to be an exciting time to be a Chiefs fan. Over, under, and how many he's going to win? I'd say four. I'm taking the over. What about you, Keane? Oh, I, I, you see, I, like, look, we're talking about the Chiefs because the Chiefs won this year. They won the Super Bowl, obviously, they're the, the focal point. But I, like, if you were to, if you told me to pick between two teams and the Ravens and the Chiefs were there offered to me, I don't really see one as being significantly better than the other. I think the dominant teams for the next decade are those two teams. And the question is, can anyone else join them? Because I'm not sure. You're crazy. The Ravens are nowhere near as good as this team. They're just not. Like, they don't, maybe they they get better. But like. Uh, The Ravens are very good. The Ravens are very good. Ravens are young. Mahomes is better, like significantly better than. So Lamar Jackson, it turns out, can be shut down. And that team can be shut down. You can't shut down Patrick Mahomes for the entire game. It turns out you can't do it. I do think if Lamar Jackson had Tyreek Hill to throw to rather than. But he don't. That's the but thing. He will. He will. Like Marquise Brown was playing at 50% healthiness and he still uh, made a big impact. But what if he's a bust? Who knows? He won't be a bust. He was already good this year when will he Fuller. wasn't even healthy. Will Fuller is a sensational player. Absolutely amazing. But you get him for three games, two games off, a game and a half, he's, he's injured. What if that's what Marquise Brown's future is? Like, I don't know. I don't. I, sure. I wouldn't be banking yeah, on the Ravens, it, as we know. Sure, here would be here would be my counter to that. Uh, let's go back twelve months. What did the Patriots do in the championship game to the Chiefs and to Mahomes? Well, uh, they nearly lost. D forward lost. But well, they. But did he they, not? Did he not go contained, wild in the fourth quarter? They, 
but they contained Mahomes. But this is the thing. We're talking about you contained Lamar Jackson in a game when he had 500 yards. Like, it's, it's a crazy, crazy narrative we're running with just because they lost the, that, that game. I know you love yourself some, Lamar Jackson. I know that you've been on that train from the get-go. And I know that you're married to the whole notion that he's going to be the greatest player of all time. But, like, look, I'm just giving you Patrick Mahomes and he's better. Okay, but even, great even, if we go, even if we go with that, that Ravens team is so young. That Ravens team has all the pieces in place to be a great team. And you've got John Harbaugh there, who is one of the very, very few coaches right now who you could put on Andy Reid's level and be completely happy with that as a matchup. Okay. John Harbaugh is... Okay, so we're, we're going to have this amazing decade amazing. where John Harbaugh goes up against Andy Reid and Andy Reid becomes yeah. somebody who people start putting on the same pedestal, I think, as Bill Belichick after the end of this road. Because bear in mind, this is the very first time in his life that he's had a quarterback who's any good, right? Every, all the rest of the time, he's been like, oh, God, look at that guy. Look at, look at that guy. That guy just puked in the huddle. What? <laughs> what? Uh, so what's your over-under, Keen, on how many Super Bowls Patrick Mahomes has? I think he's got to win five. I think that by the time that guy is 37 and he's going to retire early because he's so rich, uh, I don't see him going to 42 the way, um, the way Brady does. I think he's going to have won five Super Bowls. Bear in mind, that gives me 15 years. Uh, if, years. He wins three, if he wins two or three, it's a great career. Look, look at Aaron Rodgers. He's won one. Look at, like, Belichick is still going to be hanging around here. Even Aaron Rodgers had a crappy coach the whole time who didn't understand what to do with him. It's exactly the same reason why Russell Wilson hasn't won more, because they have a coach who doesn't understand what to do with him. This is one of the few times in sport where you have an absolutely perfect marriage between the person who's making the decisions and the person whose job it is to implement them. And I'm telling you, like, you, if you look around world sport, like, this is Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan. That's the level of... of synchronicity that we have we, we have not had that with any of the other great quarterbacks except with Belichick and Brady I agree with Joe you Montana. everything you're saying I agree with you with everything you're saying in terms of praising that connection and how that connection works but I just think it's extremely difficult to win Super Bowls look at this run in itself they were down by 10 points in every single game every single game involves a comeback did like, you yes, did you at any point back. think Houston were going to beat them no Tennessee not really didn't really think Tennessee were going to beat them there was like a, a split second where I allowed myself to think the 49ers were actually going to do it but all the rest of the time you were like it doesn't really matter Patrick Mahomes is going to get them out of this and they're going to get better they're like McCall Hardman's going to get better Tyreek Hill is on some kind of sweetheart deal because well he's Tyreek Hill um like, are you really putting it at three? In the next 15 years, Patrick Mahomes is only going to win two hold, more Super Bowls. Hold on a second. But there's some contradiction here, though, as well, because you think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get better. And if Jimmy Garoppolo gets better, that 49ers team is a bit of a juggernaut. So if the 49ers are there, the Ravens are there, the Chiefs are going to have to play against the Patriots, too, as well, because they're not going to go anywhere with Belichick still there. You've got a bunch of these teams who are going to be pretty damn good, who aren't going to be easily beaten for the Chiefs. So if the, if the 49ers are a juggernaut, the Chiefs are a juggernaut, and the Ravens are close to a juggernaut or a juggernaut, how are they going to win five Super Bowls in 10 years? If Patrick Mahomes stays fit between now and... Um, I'm going to give him 14 years. Cause what is he, 23? Is he 23 24. or 24? Uh, between now and the time he's 37, he's going to win four more. That's what I'm saying. That's the over-under on this. Because he's literally better than anybody else. And I think, actually, the confidence he gets from a performance like this, like, we haven't seen him be fully cocky just yet. We've seen him do the pretend cockiness on the sideline where he was faking it till he made it. Now he's made it. This is like, this is um, late stage Ali before, uh, you know, this, as, this as, the as world champion. 
this is the beauty of this league right now, though, because look at the quality of quarterbacks you've got coming in, coming through. Like Deshaun Watson is going to be there for the next five years. Russell Wilson is going to be there for the next five years. Dak Prescott, if the Cowboys can ever sort themselves out, they probably won't because they heard Mike McCarthy. He's a great quarterback, too. You have so much talent. And then you're talking about Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence coming into the league. You're expecting all this quality to get better and better. It's it's like, it's a beautiful thing that Patrick Mahomes is this good already. And it's a beautiful thing that he's in the right spot and the Chiefs are this amazing team. But there's an awful lot that has to be determined before you can start talking about a team as a dynasty. And it's just too early with them. So you're sitting on the fence. Got a split. No, I'm saying, I'm saying no. You're, you're just going mad. Like, so, look at that Seahawks team. How good was that Seahawks team? And they won like two. Or no, they won one and got to his tech. And the coach didn't know to give the ball to Marshawn Lynch Pete on the Carroll. one yard line. Come on, Pete Carroll, you, you, Pete Carroll blew that, right? And, and that transforms how we think about the Patriots. Like, the Patriots dynasty is uh, they take what they give them. Uh, look, Bill Belichick, brilliant coach, absolutely sensational, greatest of all time. But I do think there's a possibility that Patrick Mahomes goes wild over the next couple of years. And. Um, and I'm looking forward to that and I'm also looking forward to maybe losing one against the 40 dollars along the way or what, two what about Kyle Shanahan so you see around the NFL these 28 and 3 signs where since that Super Bowl that people have been teasing him about that and now he's got trolling the word's trolling oh. go on running yeah so to what extent is he going to be saddled with this now has, has, he, has he got a reputation or has it been over egged a little bit Lana what are you thinking there would be great irony in taking this from the Super Bowl that Kyle Shanahan was the problem. Like, if we're going to celebrate Andy Reid and what Andy Reid is and then blame Kyle Shanahan for what he did, I, I find it crazy because, like, I think it was Ed Werder was giving out about how many uh, passing plays Kyle Shanahan called in the second half. And it's like, yeah, you call passing plays to try and go and win the game. If he had only called running plays, everyone would be blaming him for only calling running plays. We're just playing the result with Shanahan. I think he called an incredible game. I thought he did everything that I would have done in that, in the situations. Maybe that's a bad sign for him. But I would everything he did, I would have done. I thought he schemed open the game-winning touchdown. He moved the ball in ways that his quarterback didn't have to be overly stressed. The running game worked to a degree, even while the defense was focusing on it. Like, it's very, very difficult for me to blame Kyle Shanahan for anything. He's, he's managed that 49ers offense, per, or that team perfectly, by focusing on the offense and letting Robert Sala run the defense. So it's not a, a situation where Shanahan's been the problem. They were going to give him a massive extension before the Super Bowl. I didn't see any reason during the Super Bowl to not give him that extension. Yeah, uh, that's the only thing that could go wrong for the 49ers, that um, the last time they didn't pay... Uh, Jim Harbaugh, because he hadn't won the Super Bowl, he wanted to be paid like a um, uh, Super Bowl winning coach and they wouldn't give him the money. I h hope they're going to give the money to Shanahan and uh, keep him there and make sure that, that that marriage that they have that's working very well for them is maintained and that they have that continuity to the point where I think they need to keep Eric Armstead. That's the the one kind of well, him and Emmanuel Sanders I'm not sure if they need to keep Emmanuel Sanders or not but like I, I don't think Sanders will stay there because he'll get more money elsewhere and because they've got the like how good receiver Samuel this year like that like that, that wide receiver class from last season like Terry McLaurin was the best receiver to me, in my opinion DK Metcalf was great too but like Samuel as the season wore on just grew and grew and grew and I wonder like would they have traded for Sanders at all if they knew how good Sanders was, or how good Samuel was going to be I think they would have because he definitely gave them a different threat and he gave experience to a very young receiver core and bear in mind Dante Pettis was um, yeah. inactive he was the second round pick the previous year so their record of picking receivers in the draft not great they have a couple of players coming back um, both of whom were on IR Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd who they have Trent Taylor is one of Jimmy Garoppolo's favourites targets he's like um, a shifty 
short, middle, um, middle white area, guy. a white guy, basically. Yeah. Uh, um, he's their Wes Welker, and then Jalen Hurd is another version of Debo Samuel. So, yeah, well, like to um, the victors write the history books, Jared, but the 49ers have had an unbelievable season. They have. Like they have. It was the, like, can you imagine the Washington Redskins who pick second this year going to the Super Bowl next year? I cannot. <laughs> the, the, Kyle Shannon, for that reason alone, deserves enormous credit for what he's turned around. There were extenuating circumstances last season, obviously, with Jimmy G going yeah, down. It's true. But still, um, it's been but an the, the unqualified coaching, success. The coaching ticket is effectively going to be exactly the same next year. They'll have mostly continuity on the defensive line, on the offensive line. And look, seasons are seasons. They got they got away with their injuries across the year and had discovered some depth. So we'll see. With, with regards there to the Chiefs, Guan, yeah? There is one other note to, to point out on that. They are going from a last-place schedule in their division to a first-place schedule in their division. And one of the reasons the NFL has this idea of parity and how anything can change in a single year is the way the schedule is made. So the 49ers during the regular season this year, and this isn't to discredit them as a team because they proved in the Super Bowl especially that they were a high-level team. But in the regular season this year, they played a lot of bad teams. They've played a lot of the worst teams in the league. And next year, they will have tougher tougher assignments. Yeah, strength, strength schedule definitely has a, an impact. But strength schedule from season to season, you know, what, what on paper looks like the hardest game now, suddenly you, you have a run where you're playing backup QBs four or five weeks in a row. Happy days. Patriots as Super Bowl champions had the easiest eight-game opening stretch I, I can remember. So it, it can be deceiving sometimes. Yeah. Um, no puns this week? You must have some puns. Ah, well. Give, well, me, give me the puns. Let's get to some uh, non-Super uh, Bowl-related stuff. So the NBA offseason has, has gone off the charts, so the, the NFL one's about to get going a little bit now. And Dak Prescott, Keane mentioned earlier, seems to be a little bit of a standoff. Like He's definitely staying in Dallas. It's whether he's going to take the field in week one that has become an issue. They're probably going to franchise tag him and he wants to be paid. He won't play under the tag, is that what he's saying? More or he less. won't report anyway? He's not the kind of guy to come out and, and bloviate in that kind of way, but he's basically saying, you know, pay me or I'm not playing. And he wants to, by, by being paid, he's gonna become the highest paid quarterback in the league. And as we've spoken about before, that's just going to set in motion everyone else getting a pay rise. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to reset the paradigm on this. Yeah. So, so if I was the Dallas Cowboys, I'd get this deal done pretty quickly. I think that if he's Chiefs the guy, are not going to do the deal with Mahomes just yet. Yeah, They've got another I'm, year. And they'll say, look, do you want to win more Super Bowl before we pay you? You do. I know Keane's high on Prescott. I'm not totally convinced by him. I think he's got great character, but I don't know if he's the guy that's going to lead that team. He's turning down $33 million. Um, at the moment. Uh, Russell Wilson's getting 35, so he's right to turn it down, Keen, right? Uh, what did you say to me when I told you Aaron Rodgers has only won one Super Bowl? Uh, he yeah. had an awful head. Yeah. He had an awful head coach. Yeah, so if they're going to, if you're Prescott, you're the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, you're going to take the blame for every single thing that goes wrong, and you've been given a head coach who's going to make every single thing go wrong. Yeah, you hold out for every single dollar you can get. He's uh, like, he's a $40 million quarterback. And regardless of my opinion of him as an individual, regardless of your opinion of him as an individual, his record, his success in the NFL says that he's a $40 million quarterback by the way the market is set. Look at what Carson Wentz got for not, being half the, not having half of the achievement that Dak Prescott has. Like We forget that Carson Wentz has not even been, uh, he's played like one quarter in the playoffs. He didn't win the... He had an Nick MVP Foles. season though. He did have an MVP season. He basically tucked him through the Super Bowl and Nick Foles... Sealed the deal. Played the game, but it, they wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for Wentz. He was the fluffer. Either way, like the numbers are, are the career statistics. The way the NFL traditionally looks at this, that guy's a forty million dollar quarterback. How much is Carson Wentz on? Uh, so it was an extension at the time. So thirty, 30 million. Are... There you go. 
Yeah, so, but it was also signed to a guy who's been hurt constantly, and Prescott hasn't missed the game as far as I remember. Some talk of uh, the Eagles going after Amari Cooper, so that could get controversial in the in the East. Um, Joe Burrow, and we should mention uh, Mossy Quinn being somewhat of an oracle here, because at the Woolshed he was saying if he was Joe Burrow, he'd do everything in his power not to end up with the Cincinnati Bengals. And Joe Burrow was on Dan Patrick's show Super Bowl week, which we've seen the NFL. These NFL media guys get unbelievable access. They all just roll up, do the interviews. Russell Wilson was there. Aaron Rodgers was there. It was amazing. On Radio Row during the week. Yeah, yeah. amazing. And um, Joe Burrow, two were there, and Joe Burrow. Dan Patrick basically said, a fellow Ohio, two Ohio guys talking to each other, it must be great to be going back there to play your fo- professional football. Joe Burrow didn't seem altogether pleased by the, the prospect of it. And this kind of set in motion some scepticism. I think the NFL media um, brain is almost saying, we don't really want to cover Cincinnati all that much. We'd prefer him if he went to Miami or some, <laughs> other, big, uh, some other big media hub. But he's going to end up there, unless some. If who's going to trade up? Who's going to give away? Who has the capital well, to go and get Joe Burrow? It would. It would be. It would be pulling the dick move of going. I'm not signing for you. The Eli Manning. Yeah, I don't really understand how Eli Manning did that. Was he just allowed to do it because he was Eli Manning? Well, his dad kind of pulled the strings there, didn't he? Like, it, it, but well, you also you you put the, the drafting team in an unwinnable position, really, if you refuse to sign because. They, like as, as you're already feeling right now, Bengals, Bengals fans are looking at Burrow as the saviour, as the next guy. So if the fan base is that excited and then you come away with nothing, you're kind of screwed. Can you imagine if LeBron James turned down Cleveland back in the day? This is the equivalent of <laughs> he that. Did <laughs> I mean, they kind of fixed it so that Cleveland could get him, though, right? Wasn't yeah, that... but he did come back. All's well that ends well with, with LeBron and Cleveland. But this, if Joe Burrow turns down the Bengals, it's going, to be, it's going to be a huge story. And he probably doesn't need that pressure coming into the league. He should not. I should mention I um I, I went through all of Burrow's tape last night and wrote about him last night and as much as he's been hyped up as a superstar I, I tend to think he's a bit more of a Matt Ryan than a Tom Brady or Drew Brees and which is not a, a negative at all Matt Ryan is a perennially top ten quarterback who can be the best quarterback in the league in any given season but I'm also looking at him thinking yeah if I got offered four first round picks five first round picks I'd probably trade him right. Maybe, I, maybe somebody will do that. I think, because as I said, Tua was doing the circuit last week, and I think a lot of teams are going to talk themselves into thinking, this guy's healthy, we're going to go for him. And yeah. I think if all else is equal, he's a more talented player. And so, so take the four or five first-round picks from Miami, let them go first, you pick Tua up at sixth, and uh, you rebuild your team if you're the Bengals. Is that like... I mean, it's not going to happen. None of this really happens the way you think um, it would do if you were, you know having the crack as opposed to actually running the billion dollar, multi-billion dollar enterprise that is one of these NFL teams. So, um, so draft time is exciting, free agency is exciting, but the most exciting thing, people think that the professional football season's over there, it's not. The XFL starts this week. We've got the DC Defenders against the Seattle Dragons. It's the big one. Um, the XFL didn't go that well last time. You where, know. where is it on? I don't know, is it on? Are we able ESPN, to watch it in this ESPN kind of have it, so I'm not sure who's, who's It's on the BT package. The, so you get it free with air, do you? Mm, is that but like Jeff Perlman, who's been on the show before, like he's written about the USFL, which is kind of the same notion where you're basically slotting into the NFL offseason to like feed people's hunger for football because there's only 16 weeks of a regular season. Yeah. People are interested in football for 52 weeks, so if there's football on, they're going to watch it. Yeah. And if it's of any sort of decent standard, you know. And the USFL was successful. He spoke and he's waxed lyrical about how much he loved it and the vibrancy of it. And then Donald Trump got involved. There's a really good book about it, it uh, Football for a Book, I think it's called. So this, the XFL has really bad baggage. 
but I think the idea is solid, and if they can orchestrate it in any sort of decent way, it can last. But it'll just be interesting to see. They've got some pretty wacky rule changes. Who's so. your team? Oh, I have no idea. I'm going to go with the Seattle Dragons because they're here in front of me. Uh, what about this, Keen? Is this um, you know a nice little sideline for you in the off season? Um, it's it can be very frustrating to watch like college football and stuff like that because the quality of quarterbacks can drop off so quickly. But there are different rules in this, so it might be interesting. And they are. I, I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head because I only went through it very quickly. But when I did look at the list of players involved, I was kind of surprised at some of the names they have. This is seems like a better quality league than they had last year. It seems like a better quality league than they've tried over recent seasons. So it could be an actual success. I think the, the big challenge for leagues in the past has been they take a little bit of a gap after the Super Bowl. Like, and, and then you, you have the CFL as well, where the CFL... like. CFL's a little bit too much where you have guys running to the line of scrimmage before the play starts and it's all a little bit of a mess and you're kind of lost about what's going on. Hopefully the rule changes in this league are not such a departure from the NFL itself that there's a little bit of an easy transition. I think it could work. I, I'm excited at least to see it try. I'll give it a, a fair opportunity, a fair chance. If the quality is good enough, I'll buy in. And I think the... The, the chances of this are better than any other league that we've had for the last 15 years. So some of those rules are subtle. So there's a 25-second play clock rather than a 40-second play clock. So Good idea. It's a quicker game. Game up. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, instead of kicking extra points, Jer, teams will have to convert with their offense from either the 2-yard, the 5-yard, or the 10-yard line. Each location counts as 1, 2, or 3 points respectively. Oh, 3 points for the 10-yard uh, line. If a turnover happens and the opposing team scores, then that number of points will go to them. So I think it spices things up a little bit. Yeah. As Keane said, the quality players aren't quite as good, but... It probably spices it up a little bit too much. Yeah. Like there's a, Remember when golf and they were like doing all the... Oh, there's targets on all that. It's like, These are still professional athletes that, like, in terms of the, the, the top selections are going to be decent players. Antonio Callaway was playing until he got injured, right? Yeah, if anything, this is going to be like middle-level college stuff, which is you know, good at the... At Connor the Cook is one of the quarterbacks. Yeah, so I give it a good chance. Just ignore that Vince McMahon's involved and all that goes with that. Yeah, right. Um, Ken, is that it from you? Have you anything else? Any final thoughts? I don't like that departing shot at Vince McMahon, though. <laughs> Vince McMahon knows how to put on a show. But as he said, the WWE and the XFL are not related anymore. This is not, they're not the same thing. They're separate enterprises, so let's leave it at that. He's going to be all right anyway. He's got enough cash. Uh, Ken, good stuff. Thanks for joining us this week. Thanks, guys. You can uh, follow Kean's work um, uh, on his Patreon account. Uh, right, we're going to have one last bit for you here. Um, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But a reminder that tickets for the Erlingus College Football Classic game between Navy and Notre Dame go on public sale on the 20th of March. No issues around the quarterback play from both these two teams. It's going to be great. Head over to collegefootballireland.com to sign up for the latest updates and also to register for 48-hour pre-sale access to game tickets before they go on public sale. Bear in mind these tickets absolutely flew out the door the last time that uh, Notre Dame were involved so late in four hours so make sure you head over to collegefootballireland.com for the chance to get early bird access you're definitely on the inside uh, loop here when you're watching us here on the snap every week and a reminder of course American football on off the ball is brought to you in association by the Erlingus Classic between Navy and Notre Dame now Derek Mobley from ESPN was in studio with us a little bit earlier on this week He's the director who will literally be calling the, the shots for the TV on the day of the game. He's the one who actually dictates what everybody sees from around the world. And it's obviously a little bit weird for them to be doing a college football game uh, from Dublin. But uh, he's got some really interesting stories. And here's a piece of the interview. The full thing is available on all of our uh, podcast streams. And we'll see you next week. Best of luck. 
How many cameras are you So we have? have, so we do the uh, college football game on the network um, Saturday night at 7.30 every week. Right. And so we have about 25 cameras. Okay. So, and we have, uh, you know, aerial cameras. We have uh, wireless handhelds that go in the stands. We have different kinds of super slow-mo cameras. We have uh, little point-of-view cameras, which could be by the band or the uh, coach's booth or, or that sort of thing. I think you're with ESPN 14 years. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I've actually uh, was working for ESPN when I was in college. Okay, in right. the uh, early 90s. So uh, the whole way through, you're you just doing for a while. I freelanced. I've okay. been I've been uh, full time staff for probably 14. years. Yeah, I think you've got the same director producer partnership for the last 14 years. Correct. Is that right? Yes, yeah. that is true. Um, so what is your gig on game day then? So I don't have anything to do with actually college game Sorry, day. Sorry, I keep, yeah, keep yeah. saying game day. No, it's fine. On the day of the match. On the day of the match. So, but I work very closely with their their director. Um, so on the day of the match, I sit in the control room, and I uh, my basic job is to choose which of the 25 cameras we put on the air. So every time you see the picture change, I've made a decision to show this player or the quarterback or the running back or the band or the cheerleaders or whatnot. I'm talking to the whole technical crew and um, sitting next to me is a producer who talks to our uh, presenters and then he decides what replays we're going to show, what graphics we're going to do. And so um, a lot of people describe it as uh, the producer is the uh, head coach and the director is the quarterback. So the director kind of executes the whole plan for everyone. It's a bit of air traffic control as well to make sure that the planes all land at the right time because, you, you know, the, the ball is in the air and it's about to land in the wide receiver's hands. You've got to move from one to the other at just the precise right moment or else, or maybe you don't move at all at that point. Correct, yes. Trying to not disorient the viewer and just, if I'm doing my job well, you don't really notice what I'm, I've done. You know, you, you've seen everything you wanted to see. You saw the right reaction shots. You feel like you're at the game. You've seen the right replay, that sort of thing. Um, and then there's a lot of times where there could be five great things happening at one time, and I have to pick the one of the five. Yeah. So I end up seeing a lot more of the event than you, you, you do at home. As a matter of interest, is all of that recorded? Is, is every camera recorded so you can go back to something? Sure. 20 minutes later, you can call back something that you remembered has happened. Yes. So we just finished the uh, national championship game uh, in New Orleans. So there we had 100 cameras right. and we had 42 different replay sources. So some of those could have multiple cameras in them. So it's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty big operation for the championship game. Everything obviously is bigger because it's right. the championship game. Um, at some point, though, what we've seen. Um, is that what happens in the championship game becomes standardized over a period of time. Correct. How quickly do you think you get to a position where you have a 100 cameras for every game? Um, I think that will not happen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think just, just logistically, budgets, um, we set up um, probably 10 days in advance in New Orleans for the game. Um, we had 12 different... Uh, uh, mobile units, OB trucks, right. where as a regular game, we set up on Friday for a Saturday game. We have two OB units. It's just the scale of it, I think, is not practical um, on a weekly basis. And also, like, a lot of these college football stadiums are from 1920, yeah. so they don't have the number of camera positions and different things. I, I think the thing that we'd like to get to in football, and we're getting there, is these cameras in the pylons or the line to gain that really show you the definitive angle on did somebody score or not. I think that's the kind of thing that we may go forward in having more events or just something that um, the college football governing body or the NFL would just Decide. take over and mandate yeah. that we're having this.